Welcome to The Markets. Hello again, along with Mark Pearson, Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson for our weekly conversation about the market activity on Wall Street as well as the agricultural markets at the Board of Trade and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. The dateline is Chicago. It is Friday, April 3rd of 2020. And what more can I say besides what I've said for the last three months about the market activity? It all centers around the coronavirus, its impact on the agricultural community, and its impact on the world economy. And I've learned one thing from all of this, and I'll start with this one. A year ago, I would say every time I did a market report on radio or television, I would say, I would hope the day will come when a market or agricultural report will not have me say the U.S.-China trade war. Well, I got my wish, but I'm sorry, because that has certainly been replaced by the coronavirus situation that is impacting the entire world. So let's uh, begin with a look at Wall Street and the stock market, which continues to be just a crazy situation. Wall Street's main indices fell more than 1.5% today as the coronavirus abruptly ended a record U.S. job growth streak of 113 months. Even the loss of 701,000 jobs that Labor Department data showed for March did not completely capture the economic damage from the virus. The survey considered data only until mid-March, before the widespread U.S. lockdowns put more people out of work. The worldwide spread of the virus has forced billions of people to stay indoors and has pushed entire sectors of the economy to the brink of collapse. One analyst said even as investors may be bracing for some grim economic reports over the next several weeks, we got a very sober reminder of what is to come by way of today's job report. Investors were also anxious heading into the weekend due to the possibility for particularly ugly weekend news on coronavirus case counts or new hotspots around the country. The S&P 500 closed down almost 27% from its mid-February record high close. That means it lost about $7 trillion in market value. And economists have cut their forecast for U.S. gross domestic product, with Morgan Stanley now predicting a 38% contraction in the second quarter. Another analyst said, this is not like December of 2018. We're not likely to see a V-shaped recovery because we haven't even begun to really tackle the main issue behind why this is happening. That's still an ongoing process, and it's going to take time. The Dow Jones Industrial Average today down 361 points. That's 1.69%. It ended the day and the week at 21,052. 
The S&P 500 lost 38 points, or 1.5%, ending the week at 24.88. And the NASDAQ composite dropped 114 points, or 1.5%, to 7,373. Of the S&P 500's 11 major sectors, utilities, the biggest laggard, down 3.6% followed by materials and financials with declines of more than 2%. Only consumer staples rose and ended the day up half a percent, as that sector seen as a defensive play with consumers still needing to eat and buy household goods in a recession. The energy sector was one of the best performers. President Trump met with U.S. oil company executives at the White House and said Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and Russian President Vladimir Putin both want something to happen to stabilize the global oil market, where prices have fallen by about two-thirds so far this year. Walt Disney shares fell 3% after it said it would furlough some U.S. employees this month, and sources said luxury retailer Neiman Marcus was stepping up preparations to seek bankruptcy protection. Raytheon Technologies, formed by the merger of United Technologies and Raytheon Company, dropped 7.75% as it pulled its 2020 outlook for its aerospace units. Tesla rose 5.6%. That's a change for that stock, but it rose because the electric car maker said production and deliveries of its Model Y sport utility vehicle were ahead of schedule. On U.S. exchanges, 11.5 billion shares changed hands today compared with the 15.7 billion average for the last 20 sessions. The S&P 500 posted no new 52-week highs and 11 new lows, and the NASDAQ composite recorded just five new highs but 179 lows. Now, this afternoon, that's Friday afternoon, uh, before I finished recording this program, President Trump had uh, the meeting with oil company executives at the White House to discuss a historic oil price slump threatening their businesses. We'll work this out, and we'll get our energy business back, he told reporters, while surrounded by cabinet members, oil state lawmakers, and executives from big drillers, such as ExxonMobil, Chevron Corporation, and Continental Resources. The administration may offer, and we're going to have to wait to find out what they did offer, because we'll get that over the weekend, but it could more than likely offer ways to help the industry weather the crisis, including waiving royalty payments from drillers for oil produced on federal lands, 
imposing an import tariff on foreign crude oil or easing shipping regulations. That's according to sources as they went into that meeting with the oil industry executives. But one headline certainly caught my eye. Brent crude futures gained 36.8% in value for the week. That represents the biggest weekly percentage gain in the history of the contract. So let's look ahead to next week and uh, see if we can figure out any news that will change the market picture from the downside. On the U.S. economic tap, a report from the Labor Department on Friday expected to show the consumer price index fell three-tenths of a percent in March after a one-tenth of a percent increase in the month before. And in the 12 months through March, the consumer price index is expected to have risen 1.6 percent excluding the volatile food and energy components, CPI likely to have increased a tenth of a percent in the month. And after the number of Americans filing claims for unemployment benefits shot to a record high of 6.6 million last week, the Labor Department on Thursday of this coming week expected to report initial jobless claims fell to 5 million for the week ended April 4th. The producer price index likely to have dropped three-tenths of a percent in March. And in the 12 months through March, the PPI likely to have increased half a percent after having risen one and a third percent in February. The Labor Department expected to release job openings data for February in its monthly job openings and labor turnover survey. That will be out on Tuesday. The Commerce Department expected to report on Thursday that wholesale inventories have dropped half a percent in February. And then on Thursday, the University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index likely to fall to a reading of 75 in April from a, re- a record uh, from a reading of 89.1 in March. Federal Open Market Committee scheduled to issue minutes from its meeting of March 17 and 18 on Wednesday. And on the same day, Mexico's central bank will also publish minutes from its last monetary policy decision. Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland President Loretta Mester is expected to speak on maintaining economic health during a crisis in a live stream moderated question and answer session before the City Club of Cleveland. Levi Strauss and Company expected to release first quarter earnings on Tuesday, and investors will watch for management's comments on the impact of store closures due to the pandemic on the denim makers' financial and any disruptions in supply chain due to the lockdown in China earlier this year. And some other international news that we'll be getting next week. Canada's job data for March expected to release on Thursday that Canada gained a higher-than-expected 30,300 net jobs in February, while the unemployment rate rose 5.6%. And then uh, 
On Wednesday, Canada's National Housing Agency set to release housing starts data for March. Canadian housing starts fell to a seasonally adjusted rate of 210,069 units in February. So there will be several reports out next week, but uh, a good part of them will be from Canada and Mexico. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, I want to pass this along because this came in late Friday. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said late this afternoon, the U.S. Congress will do another coronavirus relief bill with health care at the top of the list. In an interview with the Associated Press, the Republican leader said Congress should focus on correcting any shortcomings in legislation already passed as it works on what would be the fourth bill responding to the coronavirus pandemic. In the senator's words, there will be a next measure. Oh, and one other note, too, from Washington. With the coronavirus contagion spreading, the White House said today that anyone expected to be near President Trump or Vice President Pence will be given a rapid COVID-19 test out of an abundance of caution. The test, expected to be the same quick action test that Trump took on Thursday of this week, He took the Abbott Laboratories test, which provides results in 15 minutes or less. Certainly a different world in which we live, and we'll take a look at the agricultural picture with uh, Mike uh, Pearson, or Mark Pearson, Max Armstrong, and Don Roos when we continue here on The Markets. For our weekend market segment this weekend, we switch over to Mike Pearson, who had as his guest Don Rose of U.S. Commodities. And Mike asked him. USDA out on Wednesday said we might have the potential for 97 million acres of corn. That number seemed to take the market by surprise. What are your thoughts here in the corn market? Yeah, you know, exactly, Mike. You know, there's no, uh, you know, the market was uh, braced for a big number, but that was bigger than we even thought. So, you know, a a negative uh, spin to the market. Now, I think when you look at it, uh, we already on the old crop, we had some real issues with the ethanol uh, that was uh, backing off, you know, probably going to lose two and a half to 350 million bushels off of the ethanol demand. So, you know, we were hopeful that something would come positive out of the uh, acres numbers. But uh, when you're talking 97 million acres, Mike, that's just a big number. And it's uh, one that I don't think you're probably going to stick that number. I think when you look at the profitability and the changes that we've had, you're probably going to lose a million off of that, I would say, but probably not much more than that because there's an awful lot of uh, progress and uh, planning decisions have already been made. Gotcha. I was going to ask you, in your conversations with growers, do you think that $97 million is real, but you think 96 could definitely be in the cards for 2020? Well, you know, I tell you, Mike, it's one of those things for the producer. There's no place to run, no place to hide. There's, uh, you know, it's probably at the present time uh, more of uh, uh, the best of the worst situation. But uh, we're seeing a switch on a little bit due to the fact that the uh, corn market is torpedoed versus the soybeans trying to hold together. Uh, That is one thing. And also the costs uh, have ratcheted up uh, on uh, on the corn market. But, you know, there is a little bit of a positive, and that's the fact that fertilizer costs are down a bit. 
uh, fuel costs are down a little bit, but the seed and chemicals are, are staying the same, and the land values, the, uh, the that's set, the rents have been set, so I don't think you're going to see a lot of change on those acres, and, uh, uh, you know, it's a situation that you're probably down to weather someplace in the U.S. or the world to change those acres, and weather's probably going to be more important as we get into uh, the middle of April. Remember last year, we were on our heels this time of year, and then we got a change on weather. So, you know, keep your eye on the sky, you know, starting pretty quick. Now, how about with soybeans? Was that acreage number much of a shock there on the, uh, well, on the bean perspective plantings? Well, you know, that report was, you know, you had something for everybody. Well, we had a positive uh, stocks number on corn. Feed usage was more than we thought. That probably meant that last year's corn crop was overstated. But on the soybeans, it was the uh, just the opposite. We had a, a negative stocks number, but the uh, acres numbers were a little bit positive. But, you know, as the uh, stocks numbers uh, go, it probably meant the same thing, that probably last year's soybean crop was probably overstated, I would say, somewhere 50, maybe even 100 million bushels. But as far as the acre number, it was a bit positive. But, uh, you know, you see estimates all over the board, uh, Mike. You know, we see uh, low figures on carryover ending stocks by analysts down to 250. We've seen some high ones still as high as 600 million. And a lot of it boils down to the demand side of the market. Are we going to see exports pick up uh, or not? Uh, You know, that's a real question mark. It looks like with South America so far, we're just struggling uh, to compete, it looks like all the way through August, they're going to be the uh, choice for the world buyers, particularly China. Well, and a big part of that continues to be the strength in the U.S. dollar, despite a $2 trillion stimulus. Don, when is this dollar going to break, or do you think it will break anytime in the next six months and make our exports more competitive? Well, and that that's an important factor, Mike. It's the big deal. It's the big elephant in the room. Uh, as you know, the uh, real this week made a uh, new high so that meant our dollar uh, their purchasing power went up that meant their profitability went up you know it's unfortunate they're still expanding acres even now as we're struggling uh, brazil is expanding acres on uh, on soybeans uh, and so that's that's an issue going forward i think it's going to continue to be an issue the uh, dollar is the safe haven mike around the world Don, we were talking about the strength in the dollar. You were talking about some of the weakness that's happening in the real down in South America and what that might be doing to limit American grain exports. But we're also hearing rumors that they might close ports down in South America. Do you think that's going to be a reality? Well, it's the coronavirus again around the world that's an issue. But, you know, we've had rumors on that on both Brazil and Argentina from a worker standpoint. Uh, So far, that hasn't been the case. But, you know, I think what we're really talking about is, is the supply chain going to be reliable uh, from South America? Not only that, around the world as the coronavirus continues to spread. And remember, just in South America, it's really starting to pick up uh, momentum. So I think that's, uh, you know, you're looking for a bull card in these markets, something that is positive. Uh, China basically has been buying the soybeans from uh, from Brazil and Argentina meal. So it's a possibility. We don't see it so far, Mike. They've been doing a pretty good job on those uh, issues. All right. Well, Don, we've got to talk about the livestock markets, in particular, the cattle market. The volatility has been incredible. The difference between cash price and futures prices has been record high. Bring us up to speed. What is happening in the cattle market that now might be prompting a uh, congressional investigation? Well, you know, the big thing that we have in the cattle market is uh, the packer margins exploded to the upside. They hit a top of over $600 a head. They're now down to about 250 a head. 
you know, and really what happened was at, at the retail level, as we know, there was panic buying at the store level. Uh, and it was not only in uh, in the, uh, the uh, wheat areas with the grain, and that's helped support the wheat, by the way, but it was in the meat uh, counter. So we had the uh, uh, the beef market shot up uh, $51 weight in just short order and in a number of days. And then it stopped and did a push to the downside a number of days. And that's where we're at right now. So far this week, we've had uh, 8 to $9 drop in the cash market and the futures market projecting, uh, you know, some further drops similar to that going forward. But it was all about uh, the restocking ran us up. Then uh, the fears that, uh-oh, we're already restocked. Now who's going to buy? Are the freezers full? When do they come back? And uh, fear also that some of these packing plants, if you get coronavirus, uh, you know, could close temporarily, that the weights could grow. So it's kind of you're throwing uh, everything at it. You know, markets, Mike, they run on fear and greed, really, is the dominant issue. And I would say we had the greed at times this year, this uh, last two weeks, and now we have the fear. All right. The fear is kind of running the table, as it seems right now, in the cattle markets. Don, do you think that weakness is going to be continuing up until we get some sort of firm answer on this coronavirus uh, situation? Well, I think the big thing we have to do is the markets do not like unknowns, and we do not know the unknown on the uh, the, the uh, demand side and uh, the restocking. So I think we're going to have to watch the retail level. Does meat move? I think even more than that, do you see a shift around from expensive beef to pork and poultry and fish? And do you even switch around on those meats to cheaper pasta and uh, you know other rice and some other type of things? So I don't think we know yet, Mike, but the market's definitely trying to vote that we've got two biggest supplies during April. We don't know how long this is going to go on, and we don't know what the consumer's going to do. But we know that he's uh, pinched. Uh, look at these unemployment numbers, and they really haven't got the stimulus money out to the uh, people here yet. So you've got a little bit of a void. But uh, keep your eye on the retail level. Keep your eye on the prices. Because, uh, you know, maybe we have to get to this level where you either sell it or smell it. In other words, you get down to a price where uh, the consumer looks at it and says, that's a bargain. All right. We'll have to see if that comes anytime soon. Don Rose from U.S. Commodities in Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us here on This Week in Agribusiness. We really appreciate your input. Thank you, Mike, and uh, have a good day. And we appreciate having Don on the broadcast this weekend. Thanks to Mike Pearson for handling the chores for us. The focus in the agricultural markets, indeed the COVID-19 pandemic, because it impacted so much of what we do. It was interesting to look at a couple of earnings reports from companies in the food industry this week. ConAgra, for example, raised its financial expectations for 2020 as consumers swarmed stores to pick shelves clean of food items and essentials because of the lockdowns across the country. And the chief executive officer, Sean Connolly, said, while we are still early in our fourth quarter, we have seen significantly elevated demand for our retail products as consumers have started filling their pantries for more at-home eating. And uh, ConAgra isn't alone in seeing an increase in revenue uh, because the uh, Kroger company also said that demand for foodstuffs had raised almost to a panic buying level at one point in the uh, early stages of the lockdown. 
And I keep telling my listeners on both radio and television, we do not have a food shortage in this country because you cannot shut down agriculture and agriculture will not shut down because you can't shut it down like an automobile assembly line. Cows have to be milked and hogs and cattle and lambs and poultry have to be fed and cared for. And those acres that are devoted to the specialty crops, they have to be farmed and those crops need to be harvested when they're ready. And so we've got a lot of that going on in the agricultural industry. And I keep telling my audience, don't hoard food because we do not have a food shortage in this country. Thank God. And thanks to the farmers and the ranchers and all the producers who put it together. But uh, as part of the critical U.S. food supply infrastructure, U.S. pork producers this week said they're committed to keeping Americans and consumers around the world supplied with nutritious protein. And the ongoing U.S. pork industry labor shortage on farms and in processing plants, now exacerbated by COVID-19, threatens to increase food prices, disrupt the pork supply chain, and weaken a critical economic sector for rural America. So this week, Pork Producer Council members contacted more than 1,100 lawmakers, USDA officials, and other policymakers urging the reinstatement of visa processing in Mexico and asking for expanded agricultural guest worker visa programs that work for livestock, agriculture, and harvest facilities. As uh, the president of uh, uh, the Pork Producers Council uh, had this to say, we've already been facing labor gaps, but it has become exacerbated by COVID-19 when you layer on daycare and school closures and just what the average family is going through right now. It makes it even more uncertain. And so uh, they went to Washington to talk to legislators and uh, members of various agricultural organizations to ask for help in making sure that we do have the labor we needed or that we need. And the South Dakota Cattlemen's Association went to members of Congress to urge USDA to provide immediate assistance to cattle producers. They said cattle producers are hurting in this uh, cutback in some of the demand for the products. And the dairy industry, well, in Wisconsin this week, some dairy farmers were dumping milk and Consumers were asking why. And the thing I didn't realize is the biggest consumers of fluid milk are the school lunch program participants. The National School Lunch Program consumes more fluid milk than any other segment of our food economy. And so that's one of the reasons the dairy farmers, which already had a lot of suffering going on, uh, have more because that market is gone with the closing of schools, although many of the schools are still serving food. But uh, 
It's a loss of the market. Yes, we can still make cheese, we can still make pizza, we can still make butter, but fluid milk is an important part of the diet of those on the National School Lunch Program. So let's take a quick look at where the markets ended today. Wheat futures rose, bouncing after a four-day slide as traders weighed the threat of a deep economic downturn due to the epidemic. And corn extended a six-day drop, with May futures hitting the lowest for a most active contract since September of 2016. The uh, May wheat contract ended up seven and a half cents, five forty-nine and a quarter a bushel. But May corn ended down two and three quarters at three dollars thirty and three quarters cents a bushel. This coming after setting a contract low of three dollars and twenty-eight cents. May soybeans lost four and a half cents a bushel today to end the uh, week at eight dollars fifty-four and a quarter cents a bushel. May wheat down nearly 4% on the week in its biggest slide since the last week of February. May corn ended the week down 4.5%. Soybeans ended the week down 3.1%. Turning to the uh, markets at uh, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, hog futures fell today to the lowest point since late 2002 on tumbling pork prices and slowing slower processor rates. The cattle futures also dropped as wholesale beef and cash feedlot cattle prices dropped as scores of restaurants and food service companies remain closed across the country. So another challenging week for the market world from Wall Street to the feedlots, to the dairy farms, and to the specialty crop producers and anyone else involved in the food production and distribution essential industry. Well, let's hope we get a better week next week. That's our time for this week. And again, thank you for joining us on The Markets. 